This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, Dan Silver. Uh, my very first two-time guest appearance on this podcast. We had a great conversation a couple months ago back during quarantine times. Dan is a realtor. He is a jiu-jitsu practitioner. Still a white belt, Dan? Still a white belt, but I got two stripes now. The last conversation, you had no stripes. You were very proud of that, even though you had been training for a long time. So that's a big, big improvement in, uh, in a short amount of time. Uh, you played college lacrosse. You ref lacrosse. You're a golfer. Uh, we had a lot in common with the real estate and lacrosse and golf, and we've kept in touch over Instagram and text. Uh, and you've had a lot going on personally and professionally over the past couple months, you know, coming out of the wake of this COVID. And, you know, I thought it would be really great to do a checkup. I loved our first conversation. I got so much out of it around the beginner mindset and just, you know, how jujitsu can impact a person's life. And so, yeah, lo loved hearing your perspective. And it's an honor to have you back on. Well, thank you for having me back. Uh, 2020 was a hell of a year for me. I think, uh, I believe you talked about this about this with uh nick i forget his last name the greek guy kumulatos yeah kumulatos, heck of a name and you know 2020 it, it was really i think it created a lot of dichotomies for people a lot of people went off the rails a lot of people including him you myself had some tough moments and uh you know if i'm going to be intellectually honest i had to and i'm not there, there's no you know the uh, destination is the journey right and 2020 was uh a good time for me. I think we spoke in November. I got lucky. I finished strong. I uh, I made the choice to train in a summer fall with a cohort of people that are a couple of really tough blue belts, purple belt, brown belt, and it really upped my skin in the game. It made me train jujitsu with greater intentionality, and it was a game changer for my business, my interpersonal engagements, and just really everything. You know, that's great. Remind me what school you train at again, and who your uh, head instructor is. I train at La Miranda Jiu-Jitsu in Lafayette, California. My head instructors are Adam Dunkel and Stephanie Moon. She is, I believe, and I could be getting this wrong, a Caesar Gracie black belt. He is a Health Gracie black belt. Cool. That's great. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu certainly is uh, an outlet for getting through tough times. Uh, we discussed last time, the, the one of the hardest parts for me of getting through COVID was that it was stripped away from us for those three months at least here in New York, before people were willing to train. I know there was some underground training going on, and I was still training, you know, underground until maybe just two months ago. But uh, having those hands tied behind my back was just terrible. It really was terrible. And uh, so much of my progress melted away. And I'm just now, as we sit here in April, starting to emerge to get back to some semblance of where I was. I mean, I could just feel it like I'm turning the corner. Yeah, so it's just really difficult for me to, and, and all of us, to try to get through this. And, and one of the, the hardest things is just treating yourself well and recognizing like, damn, we're all in this together. So I'll, I'll tell that, you, jujitsu, it may not be therapy <clears throat> and it's certainly not a replacement, but sure as heck is therapeutic. <clears throat> and I, I made my choice. I know there's a lot of people on there that did as well. And I have no problem sharing this. Jiu-Jitsu has taught me to be better about sharing my wants, my needs, about having intentionality, as I said. And I told people this, you know, California has been a very COVID sensitive and safe kind of state. And I appreciate that. 
But, you know, I told my friends, I did some small pod group training during the summer as well. I needed to protect my physical and mental health. 2020 was really a make or break year for me. I'm about, yeah. this is going to be pretty divulgent. Um, I'm about four or five years deep into real estate. I'm dealing in 2020. I don't know if we talk about this. I used to play poker for a living. And at one at some point, poker became a compulsivity. And I recognize I have some behaviors that were towing the line from things I enjoyed doing to compulsivities, borderline addictions, and the way I engaged with them. I was moving away from a premise of delayed gratification. And going to jujitsu four or five times a week, late summer, early fall, was the difference between I was never suicidal. I was never in a, but I was in a bad headspace. And I needed to protect my physical and my mental health. So admittedly, that was the one non-COVID compliant or friendly choice that I chose to make i i, I needed it Absolutely. like for me like even in terms of my jiu-jitsu, one of the things my sensei says all the time is your personality comes out in your jiu-jitsu and my personality is of like i tried to be like bruce lee like like water i want to be adaptable i want to be able to sit in a room with a ceo or um a construction worker or a brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner or a skier or a golfer and i want to be able to operate at the highest levels no matter what i'm doing and that's what i think is one of the ultimate forms of being in business of being adaptable you know how that relates directly and we can segue into this <clears throat> jiu-jitsu increases your flexibility both literally and figuratively the range of people you can engage with you know i don't care what people's covid I prefer people not be hiding in their basement or, you know, storming state capitals with assault rifles. But if you're anywhere in between, you're entitled to your perspective and your own approach. And that's that all my jujitsu has rubbed off on my business. You know, for example, I'm, I'm loath to talk about other people in jujitsu. I'm such a beginner. I know nothing. But, you know, Henzo is a great example. There was that controversy last summer where he's putting up. Himmler quotations, which as a Jew, you know, I don't, I don't love that. I don't love the fact that he doesn't seem to have cognizance of why that's not okay. But he's also a hell of a teacher, a hell of a human being, incredibly kind, incredibly engaged. And so life exists in the ether. People are dichotomous. People, life is grayscale. And to succeed at business, you have to understand that and embrace that. And holy heck, jiu-jitsu has been fantastic at moving me along that path. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep, fellow Hebrew he here, and uh, <laughs> it's been great, you know, combining some of my Jewish New Yorkerness with my jujitsu and and meeting other people like me. Uh, there are not too many of us. It's not. Uh, I wouldn't say you know the the Jewish community. Most of my friends from growing up, they don't really understand jujitsu or martial arts, and so those two worlds were very much separated. Um, New York is kind of homogenous to some degree and people go into their cliques. But the thing that I love most about jujitsu is it's everyone, every race, every religion, every socioeconomic background. And you go on that mat and it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, Jew, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, you're just friends and you sweat together, bleed together, train together. It's so nice. And my sensei often says martial arts could save the world. And that essence is, is right there on the mat because it really is the ultimate meritocracy, and you know exactly where you stand. Uh, there is there is no ego, or you will not get better up until a certain point, of course. And in order to have great training partners who you train with day in and day out for years, uh, you need to be a good member of your dojo or academy or gym. And so it's 
it's just so, this is why I love martial arts and jujitsu is because the principles are explicit. You go into a company and a company, it can, things become implicit, implied. It's, things can be shady. Things can be uh, left unsaid. You're, you're making your way. It's how you're making a living and people can fail up. You know, in, in a company, you can fail up, meaning if you have a superior who isn't that talented, isn't that great, and you're stuck underneath them, sometimes the only way to grow is to acquiesce to how much they suck. And so people can, if you're in a bad culture, a bad environment, a bad company, you can find your way to fail up. You can suck. You can cover for people. And that's how they move up. In jujitsu, there's no way to fail up. The only way to get better at jujitsu is by becoming better at jujitsu and you test yourself in competition or by visiting other academies and you might get a brown belt from some backwater jujitsu school that no one's ever heard of, not affiliated. And then you go to a tournament and you're in an open weight class with a purple belt or a blue belt and they smash you. And we see this all the time on YouTube. So uh, I, I just, I love jujitsu for that reason. And that is something I'm trying to tap into with this project, which is, how to tell these lessons, how to tell these stories through the lens of your experience, through the lens of the other guests' experiences. And yeah, just grateful to have you back on, Dan. And I know you had some, some rough patches this year and some things that you've learned. Uh, tell me about some of that. Well, real, let me go back to what you were saying real quick. I think the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur slash self-employed and a jiu-jitsu practitioner, I hear so many stories from friends who are either aspirationally entrepreneurial or they're just nine to fivers. They're like, man, my boss has gotten promoted two notches up. I feel like my competencies are par with them. I don't know if it's that they play the game better, this and that. But in both in business and in jujitsu, if you engage, if you, I'm lucky in real estate. I don't have to work an extra 20, 30 hours a week and kiss ass to get a 5% raise. I can conscientiously double or triple my income. That is a luxury to have. Um, so, Back to your uh, line of thought about just uh, how this year's improved things for me. So I trained with four people. All the white belts seemed to fade away. There was one other 25-year-old uh, guy that came over, over from Health Gracie, great addition to our gym named Eric, and he's tough. He's, he's damn near a blue belt. Um, to work with guys harder than me and increase my – are you familiar with the concept of skin in the game? Sure. Sure, good. Um, big thing in real estate, big thing in jiu-jitsu too – as I started training with greater intentionality, people realized I wasn't going away. I had a role with a purple belt and he's like, man, you're doing, you know, you're much tougher than you used to be. You're really this and that. And, and I wanted to be dismissive of it because it felt like he was giving it 12% to beat me instead of 8%, which, which is the case. And I was dismissive and, and somebody came up to me and they said, man, when a higher belt compliments you, don't put it off, man. What the hell are you doing? And I thought about that. <laughs> And I love the lack of disingenuity in a jiu-jitsu gym. People tell the truth. People are intellectually honest with you. You don't have to wade through all the bullshit and disingenuity that you have to in the real world. And that same purple belt told me, he's like, man, I thought you were going to fade out within a month. So I love the concept of in jiu-jitsu. There's a strong, burly high school wrestlers that burn out in six months. And there's the great, are you familiar with Chris Howder? No. Chris Howder was one of the original 12, uh, the dirty dozen, the first 12 American black belts. And he has a quotation on a like, it's, it's not who, uh, it's not who's best. It's who's, uh, it's who's last. It's who stick around, sticks around. 
And it's better to be strong. It's better to be an athlete. Let's be honest. If, if technique is equal, I'd rather be the strong guy. But there's a point to be made there that just refining process, admitting you suck at things, getting taps four and a half million times and coming back strong, it really my brain. 2020 was a year I moved from a really fixed external locus of control. Other people are responsible for my outcomes. Like, it's me. My choices, not exactly, not at par, but correlationally, causally, the choices I make lead to my outcomes. And jiu-jitsu was a huge part of me understanding the long-term whys and staying on the path to get there. That's great. Yeah, the concept of skin in the game is something that uh, beginners, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand in business and it's also hard to understand in jujitsu. In business, oftentimes when I'm forming a new business partnership and I have a junior partner who wants to sweat into it with sweat equity, they don't always understand um, the value that an advisor can bring with, with capital and guidance. It's like, I'm putting in the sweat, I'm gonna keep all the equity. Well, there's a time and a place for that. And if you're Mark Zuckerberg, maybe you can, you're so smart, but your average small business venture, that's just gonna be a nice small business. Mm -hmm. If you have someone that's willing to stake you you need to make sure that that relationship first works, that it's going to be harmonious, that they're going to bring something to the table and vice versa. Right. And this often reminds me in the jujitsu mat of, you know, you have white belts come in, you have them, they really want to learn, or you have someone who became a blue belt and maybe they have the blue belt blues and they've been on and off the mat, on and off the mat. By the way, that was me. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Matt Cully, one of the professors and owners of my school, Black Belt, for calling me and getting me back into the gym. But the, your concept of having skin in the game, it's so important because at the end of the day, this is sharing technique. You know, this is sharing knowledge. It's so vital that people reciprocate with time, attendance, care, um, just not just an asshole. Real <laughs> quickly. One thing jujitsu's taught me is, you know, you you can't fully let go of ego, but it's let it's helped me let go of some of the entitlement that I recognized that I had. And everybody in a gym, everybody in life has something to teach you. I don't care if you're brilliant, if you're top of the game, best in class at one thing. There's something that can be taught. I have a 25 year old uh, white belt in my gym named Eric, who I'm friends with, and it's great. I'm helping him get pace for real estate. He teaches me tons about poise. And one thing, we're getting ready for a competition in June in uh, Reno that's already been delayed from March to April. Grappling Industries keeps on pushing it out. <clears throat> and he's like, I'm not drinking until the competition. And I had a little bit of a childish dismissive in my mind, you know, like, you're not drinking for a white belt competition. Who cares? And then I realized, holy crap, this guy's getting ready for a white belt competition in Reno coming off of COVID. The results, they frankly, they don't matter. I hope he wins. I hope I'm competitive. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But the fact he had the intentionality to make the choice to say, I'm going to choose to stop drinking, even if that's, even if he's already a light to moderate drinker that, I mean, to do that at 25, um, here's one more story for you. Another kid named Dylan, 20 year old blue belt, tough, about 140, 150 pounds, practices striking. He's a, I think of him as younger Ryan Hall, just a really thoughtful kid, very conscientious. 
come back in the gym after a few days off. I see him. I say, hey, how's everything doing? How's everything feeling? He says, my knee hurts. I said, oh, what happened? He said, well, you hurt me last time you rolled. And then he kind of pauses for a sec, has to think about it and says, you know, half the times I get hurt, it's you. And I've despazzed myself. I don't, I'm not wild, but I do use, I'm a 200 pound white belt without much technique. If I get you in a mount or side control, I'm, I want to drain your gas tank so I can move into something else because I move into subs really slowly. I'm not really good at them. And we talked about it and he said, I encourage you basically when we roll, be more technical. I said, you know what? I appreciate you continuing to roll with me. I appreciate you having the balls to say you're not an asshole, but you're acting like an asshole with both your words and your actions. So I learned from younger people. I learned from less experienced people. There's not a lot of them. I learned from more experienced people. That's the line I thought I'd like to get into. I think a lot of people in business and life, they want to be surrounded by Gordon Ryan, a guy who's a black belt. They want to be surrounded by a guy like you who, let's let's just say for the hell of it, you're a brown belt in business right now. You know, um, They want to be surrounded by people that are very, very good. But I think there is value in speaking of the two-stripe white belt or the middling blue belt in jiu-jitsu or life because mm-hmm. those are the guys that take an active interest in me. You know, when my, blue belt, when my black belt is teaching a technique, sometimes you see me looks up, he's like, it's so pushed back from his short-term memory into just muscle memory that he's like, how the hell did I do what I just did? So I think it's good to seek out not just the brown and black belts, but to seek out the people that understand the struggle. What are your thoughts, what are your thoughts on finding mentorship across the spectrum on and off the mats? I think that mentorship is one of the most important things that you can find. Uh, You need someone to help illuminate the path. And on this podcast, I discovered a name. um, And now, of course, it it escapes me again. But I was talking Zach Mensali, who who is from Finishers Enterprises. He brought it up. And I think, oh, he said DC. Daniel Cormier calls it the rub. He says, when you're rolling with someone, when you're training with someone who's unbelievable, like, a Khabib and you touch them and they share their technique with you through that connection, they're rubbing off on you. And I always called it rub it all over me. When I, you know, and I said, I always give the analogy of a marathon runner because I'm not very good at running, although I developed a love for running. Mm-hmm. Said, How do you do it? What do you do? How often do you do it? What do you eat? What do you eat before? What do you drink before? What kind of shoes do you wear? What kind of socks do you wear? You know, I just want to know everything about how they do it because I was so bad at it. And I'd get like annoying with people who were just great runners because I wanted to be a great runner. And we call that the rub. And what some people confuse is that a mentor doesn't have to be this formal relationship. Like you're my mentor and I'm your mentee. A mentor can be someone you speak to one time. They don't even have to know they're your mentor. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Books, authors. My greatest mentors have been authors that are, and, and people that are dead. You know, Lincoln, Grant, Patton, uh, these guys, like when I read their writing, Churchill, I mean, this is some of my my greatest mentors in learning. And some of my greatest mentors have been people that have said one thing to me. There's a very famous story. I wrote about it in my first book. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to meet when I was 28 years old. I'd been in my business mixology for just maybe two years. I had saved the business in the wake of Hurricane Sandy. I put that in air quotes, but it was going out of business and I was really just consulting and I came in and I reinvigorated the business and I added controls and process and I brought it from 
being just about to be out of business to um, generating cash and being profitable again in about a six month period. So a year later, I was riding high. My ego was on fire. Mm-hmm. And my dad got connected with this private equity all-star. His name's Keith Miller. You probably would never hear his name. He's not a widely known person, but he's one of the number one private equity guys. He's been the money behind brands like Chrome Hearts, Supreme, um, Intermix. He bought Intermix and sold it to Gap. I mean, Dave's Killer Bread. It's just like the list goes on and on. All Saints. It's very long. I'd rather, be, I'd rather be rich than famous. Yeah. So I go up to his office and it's like the coolest office you've ever seen. He's got those cause dolls all over. He's got, it's just, he's a very, very, very cool dude. And he takes the meeting with us. And at the end of the meeting, towards the end of the meeting, he starts quizzing me on my business, asking me all these fundamental questions. And I didn't have the answer to any of the questions. And he looks at me in the eyes and he says, Jordan, you're a great kid but you don't know enough about your business. And I walked out of that meeting and I had two options. I could say, fuck him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I just saved my business. I'm going to go, I'm blah, 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 blah. Or I could learn. Was it, was it, was it discomforting when he said that the immediate response was there, was there some reactive fuck you Twitter? Did you immediately? I was frozen. I was frozen in my seat. I, I didn't have the, it was like, it's the, it was the equivalent at the time. I, I can't remember if I was a white belt or a blue belt. Uh, if I was, I must've been either a four stripe white belt or just getting my blue belt at that time. Mm-hmm. It felt like being a white belt, training with a black belt and being completely helpless, <laughs> totally sinking. My lips are above water. They're just, just holding me there. I walked out of that meeting. My dad and I were standing in front of the building and I remember being, I remember shaking. His office was in the lipstick building, by the way, very famous building in New York, a couple blocks from my old apartment. And I went back, I, I said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna learn everything that he asked me. And I wrote it all down, probably typed it in my Blackberry if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. And I went and I got the answers to all those questions. And I wrote down every single thing that happened. And that was one of the most formative moments in my life because instead of saying, fuck him, I said, this guy is a really important person in my life. And I've only spoken to him maybe two or three times since, but every time I talk to him, I keep getting better and better and better and maybe closer to working with him one day or someone like him. You also recognize that guy's time is valuable enough that when you engage with him, you need to bring your, you need to bring your A game. You need to be respectful. Yeah. Jitsu's taught me how to be much more respectful of people's time. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great story. I have a, qu- I have a question slash thought for you. Yeah. You mentioned that your dad sold the business that his dad had founded. Mm-hmm. You say like you're a third generation, at least business guy. You clearly come from, some money, some ability to run a business. You seem like a very down to earth person and your dad seems like the type of person that obviously helped facilitate a transition, but didn't just hand you the keys to the kingdom without hard work. So how do you, how have you, you know, I've real, I've I've historically been a little bit internally jealous of my realtor friends that get um, a little bit of a head start. Talk talk to me a little little bit about that, about being appreciative of the fact that you get a little bit of a head start, both on knowledge and resources slash capital, but clearly you have your nose down to the grindstone and handle your business. How, how, how has having a dad or how does having a dad who's a jujitsu practitioner or a business person, how do you leverage opportunity? So I am incredibly lucky 
and privileged in many, many, many ways. Um, I've had a head start over millions of people. Um, I, I do want to talk about that, but I learned something really amazing. This was actually a Tony. You don't have to be an apologist for it. You just I'm have not, to. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not an apologist because I learned something really valuable from Tony Robbins. And what he said was, do you live in America? Do you have two arms, two legs, and two feet? Do you speak English? And he said, well, then you have an incredible advantage too. Because any person that was born in this country versus Uganda, versus Ukraine, versus Kazakhstan, versus anywhere else in the world, just by the virtue of being born here, speaking English, and then having mobility and the, and the, the, um, the opportunity to learn, the opportunity to live in a free country, you too are privileged. So while I am extra privileged, every single person in this country is starting with some measure of privilege. And I don't want anybody in the United States to take that for granted. It's one of the things I get that people start further back in the race. Mm -hmm. A million things can put you further back in the race. But if you were born on this side of the border versus on the Mexican or the Guatemalan or the Honduran side of the border, you also have a slight head start over someone else. So I'm not, I'm not a privilege apologist. I'm just a privilege realist. And everybody has a different level of privilege. Well said. I am per the privilege that I had was that my father and my grandfather talked to me about money and business from the time that I was born. And since I've been able to work since I was a teenager, I was not permitted not to have a job. I always had a job. Awesome. I was a caddy. That's where I made the most money. I was a bar mitzvah MC, which means master of ceremonies. I flipped omelets for a caterer. I was a bartender. I moved furniture. I just always had a job. I never, I was a realtor. I got my real estate license when I was 18. Uh, I worked all through college just trying to rent apartments and do a deal here or there. I only did a few deals. But so my point is, is that the privilege that I had was that my father pushed me harder than anybody listening to this boss. You've never had a boss push you harder than my father pushes me on a daily basis. Because mm -hmm. there had to have been moments of resentment. Was there any sustained resentment where you're just like, I'm out of this. I'm not going to be entrepreneurial. I'm not going to be a business person. Enough of your, your nonsense. You're pushing it too hard. I, we got into those battles all the time. And I wrote about this in my first book. But there was a moment in two, November of 2014. I was on a family vacation. And I was reading the book Money by Tony Robbins where I mm -hmm. said, I'm being an asshole. <laughs> it's like what you said before. I'm the yeah, asshole. It wasn't him. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I'm the asshole. I'm being the asshole. I have the ego. I'm the one that has to change. And so that was a very big moment for me. But just to answer your question very directly about privilege and family, my grandfather was the child of immigrants who came to this country with less than nothing, Jewish immigrants. His grandfather was a law, had a laundromat. Before he had the laundromat, he was doing laundry. They lived in a two-bedroom house, two like a two-family two house. They used to rent 
out their own house and live in the basement with the boiler. My grandfather used to sell ice cream on the beach all summer. Came back from the military. He was a traveling salesman. He lived in a tenement building on the Upper West Side of New York. For those of you who don't know, a tenement building is there was one bathroom and every single apartment on the floor was basically a closet room. And him and my grandmother lived in an efficiency closet and shared with all those other couples a bathroom. And he said, I don't want to, I can't keep traveling around selling things. So he said he conceptualized an idea where he would pick up um, domestic help in Queens and drive the, the housekeepers to people's homes. Suburbs were just beginning. Suburbs were founded here on Long Island. And mm -hmm. all of these Susie homemakers, and, the, and this was the generation that was about, the great generation was about to give to the baby boomers. Mm -hmm. And all these Susie homemakers needed help in the house. And so my grandfather used to pick them up in the morning, drop them off in the afternoon, pick them up in the afternoon and bring them home. The housekeepers and that's the business was born he operated that business from 1955 until 1980 my gra father graduated from stony brook university in 1980 it, he joined the next day my grandfather they had one office it was 10 feet wide by 40 feet feet deep they had three administrative employees and maybe 50 or 60 housekeepers maybe a little bit more over my dad's 25 year career, he grew that small family business to become one of the largest home healthcare companies on the East Coast. They had 25 offices in, in 10 states and 7,000 employees. And so that was, that was his journey. And then in 2003, he started his real estate company. And then in 2005, as you mentioned, he sold his family healthcare business, his family business. So it really was a very different business than the one he joined. And, um, and my business is very different than the one that my father started. It's funny. My parents are smart. My parents are Stanford educated. My dad's a doc. My mom's a lawyer. But when real estate was a struggle, my mom said, why don't you just become a bank seller? And there's nothing wrong with being a bank seller. It's a noble job. But I didn't go back to finish up a couple of degrees and bust my ass burn through my savings and all that effort into it to make 15 bucks an hour and so to become an entrepreneur is really making a conscientious choice to rewire my brain and to make different decisions and that's why mentorship is so important for me my mom is the most important person in my life she's wonderful she's if not my best friend at least she's an amazing person but in terms of and She's not rich, but she's well off and affluent for making good choices. And, uh, but the entrepreneurial bent I had to learn elsewhere. And that's been, that's been a struggle for me. I've had two, two things that you get to help with. Being comfortable sitting in discomfort and um, learning how to fail and refine process and just embrace it. Like, I don't want to be too nerdy, but I'm saying gamify it, but the trend to a game is like, you fucked up, you failed, cool, that's not the path. You know, if you choose your own adventure, you want this path, some dude armbar you. And that's the beautiful thing about jujitsu. Like people are giving it 20% and they have eight different pathways to end my life. And I recognize I have to be conscientious about how I engage about how it's not like if I work hard for six weeks, I'm gonna be crushing black belts. I gotta I gotta work hard for three years and then maybe I can hang with blue belts or uh, it's been so good for my mindset and my thinking to get into that entrepreneurial 
process. Yeah, well, that's that's my whole motivation for this project is I want to, I love helping people. I love teaching. And m so many guys and gals come to me from my jujitsu gym and other places, and they want to know, you know, how do you start your business? What's it like? How do you run it? I tried once. I failed. You know, I, I have this idea. I want to start a t-shirt company. I want to start a fashion brand. I, I want to get into real estate. Oh, I know you're. So they come to me over and over again with these questions. And like you said, a lot of the time their parents were civil servants. Their parents worked in a, in a, in a, a career for 30 years with one company. They their, were. Their parents, I, like joke here and I say this with, I say this with love and respect. Their parents were the people that your grandfather was driving around. Uh, dropping okay. off for the, for the for the house cleaning. It's hard, you know. That's one thing I like, and one thing we talked about earlier that's important is finding mentorship. And I'm often like, why would this person want to mentor me? But I've learned in real estate that pe most people are self-made, and even the ones that aren't. If you ask good questions, they give a shit about you. They take an active interest in you, and that. But I didn't get that at first, but now that I have more to teach and more to add, and I mentor some people, I realize like. I like hanging out with those kids, especially as you get busier and you're an adult, you have two kids, you're not spending every weekend watching UFC fights and going to Yankees games or whoever your team is. You get to live, it's a quid pro quo. You get to live vicariously through the 20, and I know you're early mid-30s, but you get you, you get to live through the people. Everybody's at a different stage in life and you have respect for them. You learn from anybody and everybody, and that has been such a I've dropped my hebrews thanks to jujitsu. And, and you know, you mentioned ego needs to go away, but you have to have some ego. You have to have some, and it oscillates. It's like, I just want to learn. And then there's a moment like, I'm tired of getting my ass kicked. I need to come in more and I need to go harder. You know, it, it, yeah. physics are so weird and you have to grow into it in business, jujitsu, life, relationships, everything. Yeah, you know, um, that's something that people like to argue with me about because I do post a lot about the ego and I do these short clips like from Ego is the Enemy and I'll say things like, you know, you have to fight the ego or to get rid of the ego. No one can ever get rid of their ego. Mm. It's impossible. It's like getting, the only way you can get rid of it is if you die. Everyone has an ego. The thing to master the ego is to understand it. It's to understand when you're being the asshole. It's to understand yourself and to have some level of emotional intelligence to understand how other people are reacting to you. So sometimes when these people try to argue with me on social media and I don't engage and they really want me to engage back with them, sometimes I'll just write, if they write me a couple messages and they seem like a good person, I'll just write back to them, I don't disagree with you. You're, you're, you're making a counter argument to what I put up, but I'm not trying to say that you need to get rid of your ego. It's, it's impossible. It's what the, the point is, is you need to understand when to make it work for you and when it's working against you. And that's every single thing in life is on a balance on a scale of I'm doing, I'm going to the extreme and then the dichotomy of that. And that's another book that I love the extreme ownership by Jocko Willink. And then his second book dichotomy. And that's why he wrote his second book because people kept calling in and being like, I'm doing everything you said. I'm having extreme ownership. I'm taking it to the extreme. And he's like, well, guess what? You need to tone it down a little. <laughs> if you told me if you told me two years ago that Joe Rogan and Jocko Willink would be my spirit animals as a schlubby middle-aged Jewish guy, I told you you were full of it. But yeah. in life, you get to choose, you get to pick and take what you want from any given person. I don't agree with everything you say as we learn more about each other, but it's not my job to. I, 
I get to cherry pick the things I like about the way you engage. And uh, God, I'm forgetting his last name again, Nick Kumalatsos. Yeah. He had in this, what was his point? Um, I love our conversations, man. It's just a lot of different threads all over the place. And I struggle. Yeah. Um, man, it, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's such jujitsu. It's just so beautiful to refine your process and to figure things out. Oh, here's the point I was going to make people like the Stoics, you know, Zeno and all, I'm still getting into it. I have a lot to learn, you know, and then you got Tim Ferriss and Ryan holiday. These are just people. Our job, something I've learned in life from my business, my nutritional coach, and just from my own, you have to be able to teach other people. If you can't teach it, you don't understand it. And any good disseminator of information, whether it's a business coach or whatever, will tell you, I'm just helping you unlock what you already know. It sounds corny. Here's what I was going to say. So you have conceptualized all this stuff, but through jujitsu and business, you've turned it from, you've turned it from concepts from reading it on the internet and conversations and Reddit into living it and having the neurochemical change in this and that. And once you understand it and it's in your body and you can feel that flow state, then when you reconceptualize it, you know, you're just, the more you know and the more you level up your game on and off the mats, you are prone to people that are not there yet. You're prone to sounding like a preachy asshole. And I understand what you're coming from comes from choosing to start the podcast. It comes from humility and engagement and a little bit of ego, a little bit, you know, and that's, that's good. And people, what, what, what are your thoughts? People love to be critical. Here's one thing I heard that I liked recently. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Haterism doesn't come from the top. Like I worked with a guy, a realtor who's very, he's more of a biz dev guy than he is a realtor. He's just very social media friendly. And, and a lot of people dislike him. But it's not the people selling tens and tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of million dollars of real estate that criticize him. It's always shit talk flows upward. What are you thinking about? Well, one of the things that a few, a word that has emerged over and over again from the critics of this podcast, of which there have only been a few, but you know that those words stick out farther, much harder than the, the compliments of which they're overwhelmed. But one word that came up at least three or four times was pretentious. And sometimes, you know, when you're trying to help people understand how to be successful and you're talking about money and you're talking about business and success and investing, it can sound pretentious to some ears. The jujitsu community, not everybody in the jujitsu community is going to agree that the principles of business and jujitsu are connected. They probably, some of them think that business is bad. Money is evil and jujitsu is pure and martial arts is pure. And so I get it. I, I understand why some people would think that. And I also understand the way that I might sound to someone who these concepts are completely foreign to. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't make me not want to share them any less. I, there's some things like when people are like, oh, money is energy. I'm like, that is not pretentious, you know, horse, you know what? But it's just, I just encourage people to be open-minded to taking insights from people they disagree with. Nobody is inherently, you know, we exist in the sacred and the profane. Nothing, there's some pretentious words right there. Um, 
nothing's inherently good or bad. There's people that you think are assholes that bring good to the table. You know, it's it, it's like the Trumpian thing. Then this was a big revision for me, being a Berkeley, Oakland, Piedmont, you know, Bay Area liberal, to understand that people aren't inherently good or bad. To have conversations with people that support Trump, even though I'm in a Berkeley, Oakland, very liberal bubble, jujitsu has been amazing for helping me step outside of the. Okay, I disagree with this guy. I may even think he's full of shit. Let's have a conversation, and I may end up thinking this guy is full of it. But I may, I may be like this guy's full of it, but he's only eighty percent full of it. What's the twenty percent we agree on? What's the, what's the common ground? And yeah. if you can't have those conversations, I don't think you're going to succeed as a business person, and I don't think you're going to succeed to the extent that you're capable of as a human being, frankly. And there's a, there's some pretentious bullshit that you'll get some bad feedback on, but you know. Yeah, no, and, and it, it honestly doesn't bother me, but it would have in the past. It would have stopped me from starting this project. And I don't, I'm so happy that I did start this project because it's something I'm so passionate about. I get to meet people like you. I get to have great conversations about the thing that I love. And jujitsu was my alter ego for a long time. 11, 11 years or so of doing jujitsu, I had my jujitsu life, what I did at night, and then I had the rest of my life, my business, my friends, my family. You didn't, you didn't reconcile the two? They, they were polar opposites and you just you disappeared in jujitsu? I'm glad. My, you family, my family and my friends, they, they didn't and still maybe don't fully understand jujitsu. They don't understand what I do. Some people know I've been doing it for 12 years and they still say, are you doing that karate thing? Um, they think it's gross. They think it's, they, they just don't understand it. And I get it. By the way, I say that to my wife all the time. I watch jujitsu almost every night. And I sometimes look at my wife and I was like, if you, if you didn't know anything about jujitsu and you saw what they're doing, you would think it is ridiculous, <laughs> you know, when they're rolling around. And so, and sometimes I say to her, can you believe that's fighting? Like that is a form of fighting right there. <laughs> a real dangerous kind of fighting. Yeah. I know we're running out of time here, so I'll make this quick. Um, yeah. One thing <coughs> jujitsu has been good at is it helps me make space. Like I was doing jujitsu during the summer four or five times a week. I'm growing in with this guy I'm working with who's I'm having to earn it, but he's handing me the keys to the castle. I'm learning so much. We talked about mentorship. I give him a large cut, but he's earned it. He's helping me. I'm on the trajectory I want to be on finally at 41 years old. It's taken a lot of time, a lot of conscientious thought, but I do jujitsu at night. And once upon a time, I missed a Zillow call. And he mentioned, you know, like, you're a realtor. You have to be ready from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And I had to push back on him. And I'm not quite there yet. He's right. For now, I need to make up for years of underachievement. I need to bust ass, but I need jujitsu. But part of it is understanding balance. So now I train Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 a.m. And that's weird, but it's also nice accomplishing more by noon or 2 p.m. than most people accomplish for their whole day. But it's about finding balance. It's about, and I have to tell him, hey, man, if you want me to be the realtor that you want me to be and that I want to be, mm -hmm. I do jujitsu at least one or two nights a week. And, and, and it's yeah. balance. And, and, and balance is hard at the scale on that, let alone the scale you're at. Well, how, how do you find that balance? You train so much. Well, this was the advice I was just about to give you, and I'm, I'm proud to give this advice to you and everyone else. You are not responsible for doing every part of your job. You are only responsible for making sure it gets done. And so when you decide that you want to do jujitsu and you do block off that time or anything else that's important in your life, if you have a boss that expects you to be manning the phone for that hour, 
-hmm. Well, there's about 101 things you can do to make sure it gets manned. As simple as having an, a great virtual assistant or answering service, which can cost you extreme small amount of money. And I'm talking about you could get a high quality VA in the Philippines to answer your phones for maybe five or $6 an hour. Uh, and if you need a company, I have a great company for you to talk to. So that's one thing you could do. The second thing that's even easier is you could just put your phone on the mat on loud and you could just say, Hey, to whoever you're training with, guess what? I have this part of my career. I have to answer the call right now at this part of my career. I'm waiting on the call. Um, to communicate your needs in life is important to say, Hey, I love training with you guys. Here's a great story. So I shaved my head. I looked like a Jewish skinhead. It was terrible, man. I, I <laughs> scissors, and then I and then I used a uh, old school razor, and it was just it looked it just looked terrible. I got it. I had somebody do it the right way the next day on a Saturday. So on a Monday, my uh, the guy I work with, I'm I'm working a lot for him and with him. I love it. It's awesome. I got no complaints. He's like, I need you to show homes from five thirty to six thirty. And guess what? Training for me starts at six p.m. <laughs> okay. He pays me for my time and building up with him. He's awesome. I got no complaints. I finished my 6:30 showing a little bit early. I got to class at 6:37 with my fresh, terrible. Imagine this about three weeks ago. And guess that's. I don't think I, it's terrible. I think it's great. Good, good cut. Thank you. Well, you didn't see it three weeks ago. And, so that's when I I got promoted and it was awesome. You know, you start with the white belts. He calls me up. He's like Dan, and you know. It, you know, I shouldn't be so excited, you know, but I'm 41 years old and I, I try to be fun loving about it. But like, it was awesome, man. Getting two stripes as a white belt is one of the hardest things I've ever done. I know the journey gets harder and more intense, but it's been great. He put on the first stripe. I'm like, oh, this is a courtesy, you know, for God, I've been there for a year and 10 months. Had a near fatal car accident, had staff, had COVID. And when he threw on the second stripe, that made me feel good. It's like, this is not merely a courtesy. This guy wrecked. This wasn't just a time on the mat, tally things. This is this this guy's earned it, and and that was good. You know, we plateau in jujitsu, we plateau in life. It's nice when you get that shot in the arm, revitalization. You know, um, that's that's the thing that jujitsu does. It's wonderful for life. You plateau for a long time in life, and you have to put in a lot of reps and effort, and then one day you realize, oh shit, it's paying off with whatever outcome. Absolutely. Well. I'll let it end it on that because it was a beautiful sentiment. Uh, Dan, I really, really love talking to you and so grateful for your time and sharing all your insights and just being so authentic and honest. And I think that your story resonates with people because you have it's, it's a very relatable story. Um, you are 41. You are in this career. You, it's not your first career. You're, a, you're still a white belt and enjoying the process and it's transforming you even though some people would just give up so i commend you and respect you and uh i look forward to talking to you again on this podcast and stay updated so that we can follow you on the journey hopefully i'll be the first uh seventh time uh seventh time guest on your podcast look forward hey. to talking to you in the future absolutely talk to you soon dan thank you